James 4 is where we will be today. James 4. While you turn to that, what a, what a great entryway into this passage. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be, at least according to me, blessed be your name. And then in the same verse, blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. That's, that's really the message. That's the, the, the Christian life is that God is not just good when things are going the way I want them to go or I think they ought to go. God is good. And blessed be his name. In James chapter 4, we'll begin with the fourth verse. We see a very straightforward James here saying, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Picture that. He yearns jealously over that spirit he puts in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, today will you help us to submit ourselves to you, even as this passage has said, but, but in these moments to submit ourselves to your word and your spirit, to be willing to listen to you, to hear, and then to see your application in our lives. This message was for people long ago. It's for us today as well. And so give us ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when I was a kid, they had Halloween. Churches, at least to my knowledge, did not provide alternatives. And so... We participated in Halloween, not saying it was a good thing to do, 
It was what practically every kid in every neighborhood everywhere did at that time. I remember one particular year because my mother usually made me a costume to uh, put on and then to go out trick-or-treating, door-to-door. It was safe to do, basically, back then. This costume that she made was one of a devil. Now, I know this is going to be hard to picture, but... Let me describe it to you, because I got to tell you, as a little kid at that time, it was it was pretty neat. It was bright red. She got me a little pitchfork. And I had a cape. And uh, it was a, a one piece red thing. And then it had this head thing that you put on with, and it had horns, and, you know, it came to a little peak here, and she sent me out the door as a little devil to walk around in our neighborhood. Now, where in the world did we get that picture of the devil? I mean, really? I'm not saying I was a cute kid, but that wasn't a scary devil at all. We have that picture on the one end. And then we see movies where they depict the works of the devil, of Satan, of evil spirits. And we see some awful things. Now you can, you can see them visually. And personally, I don't think that's a good idea to put those in your mind because they're hard to get out of your mind once they're in there. But that's, in one sense, the other end. Is he this cartoonish character Or is he that which we see on the big screen? And I would have to say that as much evil as you can see and picture on that big screen, he is far beyond that in terms of the evil, the vile activity that he pours out even in this world. We must never underestimate him. It's a great danger. Now, I'm not going to spend time today trying to prove to you that Satan is alive and well. That's a valid question. It's a valid question to ask. But for today, I'm going to approach uh, the way James did this subject. James doesn't spend a, a second on trying to prove that there is a Satan. 
He presumes it. He presumes that his readers understand that he is alive and well. And then he tells them how to deal with it. And that's what we are going to look at today. Now, let me, let me tell you some of the problems with resisting the devil before we get into this passage. The first one is, the first problem is the attractiveness of evil. If you uh, see back in Genesis chapter 3, where we see sin coming into the world in Genesis 3 verse 6, it says this, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired, it says then she ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. We see the attractiveness there. It looked good. You see, if we saw how vile sin is, if we saw evil as it is, we would have no problem fleeing from it. But instead, we see the attractiveness of it. And so that, that leads to the second problem, and that's even wanting to resist. Sometimes we may see that and we may say, you know what, it's easier to give in. It's more fun to give in at least for the moment. And so, our desire to resist is not always there. And then there's the problem of giving Satan too much or too little respect. C.S. Lewis addressed this. Uh, uh, some of you have read his screw tape letters, and by the way, uh, you know, one of the reasons he wrote that is because of statements by people like Thomas More and, and uh, Luther who said the best way to drive out the devil if he will not yield to texts of scripture is to jeer and flout him for he cannot bear scorn. That's what Luther said and Luther dealt a lot with the devil. He was tormented in many ways. But here's what uh, Lewis says in the, at the beginning of the screw tape letters. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our, our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. In other words, Satan loves it if people say, well, I don't believe in the devil. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. You know, getting into it, uh, uh, either into the occult or even from a Christian perspective, just seeing a devil behind every uh, bush and every door. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. In other words, we can fall into a problem not paying enough attention to him or focusing too much on him. And so that's why it's safe to keep the biblical balance. So let's take a look at, uh, uh, at this. And, and we, it, it's essential that we have an understanding of the limits and extent of his power, both the limits and the extent. 
First of all, he is a defeated enemy. He's a defeated enemy. John 12, verse 31. Now this is after the triumphal entry. Jesus is talking about how he's going to go to his death and be crucified. One would think, okay, he's about to be defeated, but here's what Jesus says in verse 31 of John 12. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Who's the ruler of the world is Satan. And Jesus is saying what he is entering into and what he is about to accomplish on the cross, that is what is going to defeat the evil one. He's a defeated enemy. Now, you might say, well, how do you say he's defeated? He's running all over the place. He seems to be completely having his way. Do whatever he wants. Oscar Kuhlmann applied this analogy to D-Day and V-Day. And he did it this way. When the Allied forces in the struggle to liberate occupied Europe landed uh, at Normandy on D-Day, even though there were great casualties, it was a victory. Now, at huge cost... But it was, by all accounts of historians, it was the decisive victory. For all practical purposes, World War II, the the decision of who was going to win World War II was made that day. Now, there were many battles, fierce battles, lots of casualties and so on, from that day until Victory Day, Victory in Europe. Day, which was at a later point, some of the fiercest battles, even. And yet, the decisive battle had already been won. That's how it is with Satan. On the cross, with what Jesus accomplished, when he said, It is finished, it's accomplished, it's paid for, Satan was defeated. But he's not quitting. He's not stopping. He's not saying, okay, here's the white flag, I give up. He is a cornered enemy, and he is going to fight to the very end until his destruction. He will inflict as much damage as possible. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He is prowling as we speak. There are battles, I am convinced, going on all around us as we speak. Luther's a mighty fortress. I told you, he he struggled with... with, uh, uh, Satan with the evil one, with his demons and so on, and, and his own difficulties. He wrote, his craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. 
on earth is not his equal. So you don't want to end the hymn there, you know. Don't ever say, let's just sing the first verse of A Mighty Fortress because it ends with Satan winning, you know. So you got to sing all four of the verses there, at least those four. But that brings us, on earth is not as equal, that we need to understand he is a created being. He's not equal with God. Too often we tend to think, You've got God over here and you've got Satan over here and they're like two superheroes locked in this big battle and God's going to win some and Satan's going to come back and, you know, and and it's, it's something like that and we sure hope God wins. Well, that's not it at all. That is not the picture. They are not equal. God is omnipotent. He has all power. Satan doesn't. God's omniscient. He knows everything. Satan doesn't. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Satan is not. They are not equal. Now, all the rest of the points in this section are are based on these first two, that Satan's a defeated enemy, he's not equal with God. We need to know he cannot possess Christ followers. That's sometimes a question in people's mind. You know, can he, if I'm I'm a believer, can he possess me or can so-and-so be possessed if they're a believer? And the answer, I am convinced, is it can't be because... As believers, when we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit is within us. We are, as it were, possessed by Him. So Satan cannot steal that which God possesses. He can influence from the outside, but he can't get inside of us. And then further, he may tempt or or test us if God permits. We spoke earlier of Job. In Job uh, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, The Lord said to Satan, this is that great interaction between them, and we've looked at that in some depth before, but just this verse, I think, explains. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. He's speaking about his servant Job. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. See, he could only go as far as God permitted him to go. And then further, he may not force anyone to sin. You know, I'm I know that I'm getting to the age and I are, you know, we've got so many in the church at the age that I can't even use the Flip Wilson illustration anymore. The devil made me do it. You, you parents and grandparents, explain it to your children later on. It used to be just the greatest illustration and you, you can't even use it anymore. There, that's not true. The devil cannot make us if we are belong to Christ. He can't make us do anything. 
So let's take a, let's see what our perspective on resistance is. First of all, James 4, verse 7, submit yourselves there for to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Resistance works. Okay, he's saying this is the way to do it. Erwin McManus tells a story about his uh, son, young son Aaron, who he sent off to camp one year. And he, he wanted him to go to a Christian camp because he thought, well, you know, at a Christian camp, uh, at least they won't be telling ghost stories and all that. I don't like that, you know. And so uh, the little boy came home from the, the camp and uh, the first night, Erwin went to put him down uh, for bed and he said, Dad, leave the light on. Why? Well, because uh, at camp, they told all these demon and devil stories, okay? You know, since it was a Christian camp, they don't believe in ghosts, so they told demon and devil stories. So the little boy was, was petrified. And he said, he said, leave the lion. I can't leave the lion. Well, will you stay here with me? You know, and, and uh, McManus was tempted to say, oh, they're not real, but he knows they're real. So he couldn't comfort him that way. And so the little boy said, well, will you pray that I'll be safe? And McManus said, you know, it came over me that, oh, no, he, he's looking at Christianity just like a warm blanket, a little safety blanket. And he said, you know what, no, I'm, I'm not going to pray that way. I will pray that God will make you dangerous. So dangerous that demons will flee when you enter the room. Little boy said, well, okay, but pray that I'll be really, really dangerous, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and that's where we ought to be. You know, it's, it, we shouldn't be cowering under a blanket of Christianity, but... To demons, we are dangerous because we can resist. It works. Ephesians 6 tells us how. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't run. We, we can stand against it. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present dark, this, this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's given us armor. He's given us weapons. The Word of God. What did Jesus do when Satan approached him? Satan twisted Scripture and Jesus quoted Scripture back to him accurately. Now look, anything Jesus would have said would have been Scripture, wouldn't it? But he chose to affirm that which was already written. And the devil had to flee. You know what that tells me? It tells me we need to keep doing what we are doing here at St. Andrew's 
that every message from this pulpit, every lesson in our Sunday school classes, from the youngest children to the oldest, everything that goes on on Wednesday nights, on Tuesday mornings, at all of our groups and small groups, needs to continue to be the Word of God. Because that's, that's the only way we can resist. It is our tool. And we need to know that God is stronger than the evil one. You can actually learn a lot about some of Satan's strategies uh, uh, in spiritual warfare by looking at military strategies uh, in his book, Head Game. Uh, author Tim Downs writes about psyops, psychological operations, uh, as a form of warfare. And he was talking about Alexander the Great. At one point, uh, he was uh, being defeated by a much larger army. So Alexander the Great was retreating his army uh, in order to reconstitute and so on. He had his armorers build extra large shields and breastplates so it looked like they fit on seven and eight feet men. And then as they were retreating, he left those behind so that the enemy would see these and they would say, whoa, these guys are really big. And apparently it worked. They gave up on them. We do not want to catch them. Sometimes we assume Satan is bigger or greater than he is. He is a master at psychological operations. But the quickest way to thwart our enemy's psyops is to look at the greatness of our God. Little children, You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Knowing all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. It means we're super invincibles. I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we've got to remember who's doing the fighting. John 17, verse 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Luther again, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. And he must win the battle. Let me give you a reminder here too. If you're feeling all of a sudden propped up, and you're feeling strong, and you should. But, but let me give you a reminder. I have had uh, several occasions where I've been praying with someone, and right in the middle of their prayer, 
to God, they stopped and they rebuked the devil. Now they were feeling strong. Satan, we rebuke you. Go back to where you came, you know, something like that. Maybe you've had occasion, maybe you've done it yourself. Let me encourage you not to do that. Don't talk to the evil one. Let God do your talking. And certainly, don't interrupt when you're talking to the God of the universe. It's, it's like a cosmic call waiting. You know, you, you stop and you say, hold on a second. Satan, you, you know, you don't do that. Let God take care of it. Peter was told that he would deny Christ. You know what protected him? What kept him from going the route of Judas? What brought on repentance and brought him back? Luke 22 tells us what. He says in verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Here's what protected him. But I, this is Jesus speaking, have prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. How do we resist? What's the context of that resistance? James says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Submitting in the name of Christ, who has won the victory. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. And here's our greatest hope. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Let's bow together.